This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We've been saying it a lot lately. Welcome to another victory edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you, one and all, for supporting your favorite hockey podcast in DFW. It's Spits and Suds. And we talked to our NHL and Stars expert, EP Ringside, Shap Shots, the name of his book, is called We Win Here. He also does great articles for D Magazine. He's Sean Shapiro. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good today, Gavin. It's uh, it's a good day. It's Wednesday, I think, whatever. But it is a good day. It is a good day. <laughs> By, uh, so. Yeah, a- absolutely. Let me start by saying, and I think, Sean, you'd agree, I think the Coyotes are kind of a surprising team, better than a lot of people expected. Some nice parts, and... They like to clog up the middle and they like to block a lot of shots and, you know, they come out and they play hard. So I I just wanted to say that for Stars fans, like, well, it's the Coyotes. The other thing to keep in mind is you're coming off a road trip. That first game coming off a road trip feels for the players like an additional road game. It takes a while to get used to being back at home. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, first on the Coyotes, I think they are... Coyotes are kind of are kind of a weird franchise, Gavin, right? Because the whole all the off ice stuff, the both the with the arena and whether they're gonna be relocated and um the some questionable management decisions and I think sometimes the off ice stuff makes it feel kind of drags down the overall perception of them as a hockey team more so like not that they've been good i don't want to say like they've right. been a good hockey team the past couple of years but i think it's the type of thing where they're probably in about the same past couple of years um past two three years you'd be like all right they're they're probably in the same camp similar area to where nashville was like and i know someone from nashville is going to be angry i said that but you're like but if you take if you had put in Arizona's off ice issues in Nashville and then had that dragging things down, you'd be like, oh, my God, that this team's terrible. So I think the Coyotes off ice stuff sometimes 
brings the hockey down more than it should. This is not to say they're a uh, they're great, but it's just I just I just think it's a reality and a, and a sliding skill that gets applied to that team. Yeah. Um, they also are on. I I think they've got some. They're kind of in a weird spot where they've got. I think they're finally getting some of those pieces that they'll build around that want to be there. Obviously they had the chicken trade last year and um, you're wondering like, okay, what do you do with the chicken trade? And like, at some point you have to keep your, your pieces to build. And I think with Cooley, I think Logan Cooley is, he's got a really bright future. Um, I look at, I mean, I think Keller as I like Keller. Um, I think they've got, some uh Michelli Michelli or Michelli what a nice is, saucer uh, that was yeah. last night I yeah. mean let's you know yeah. big time stick tap sometimes you yeah. just have to say stick tap hell of a yeah. pass that resulted in a goal yeah and I, I so I think they've got those pieces that they can build around now that they can start to build around um I don't it's the question becomes can Logan Cooley be the number one center that can build, you can build a winning team around. I don't know, but I think they have the pieces to build and they're feisty and tough to, and they play hard. And I think that's important because they're not, as you said, they're not just the coyotes. It is. I don't, I think this is still years from a playoff team, but I think they are not nearly as bad as their arena situation makes people think about. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. In this upcoming draft, they do have a first round pick. They have uh, two second-round picks, three third-round picks, two fourth-round picks. So, I mean, they're also, boy, in 2025, Sean, they have four second-round picks. <laughs> so they've yeah. stockpiled and the, draft picks. And those are and those are assets that you use for um, – you can make all those picks, but those, those having that many picks mm-hmm. are also, as you start to take the turn – next year or the year after those are the type of assets that people often forget you can use those to bring in that next piece and whatever it is like i I think that's the thing too where it's people always think like you stockpile picks it's not just about stockpiling picks to make them it's stockpiling assets that can be moved absolutely um and, and that's that's something that i think the coyotes have that and now this is where uh if you're armstrong this is where you start to have to you start to get tested on how am I going to use those to best situate my my growth on this? I mean, I, I think the other thing that this team needs, um, that the Coyotes need too, and it's it's and it's funny because I talked about how the arena situation brings down the hockey thing, but the reality of it is, it's hard to sell someone a big time free agent on a place where I don't know where I'm going to play in three years. I don't know what my arena's situation is going to be like when the stars signed Joe Pavelski and they brought him to town or when, when like guys signed with Dallas, they know that they can buy a house yeah. in Dallas. They can get comfortable and there's no, and that's, that's a certainty until the coyotes have that. It's hard to kind of make those additional ads beyond the, the people who are there for a stopgap. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they do have hockey fans in Arizona. It's just been poor stadium placement. Um, yeah, just poor play for the most part on the ice. But if they can develop winning and getting a stadium, 
they'll pack the place. I really do feel confident about that. Because remember in the old days with Kachuk yeah. and, and, and Ronick, they were packing, um, you know, the stadium. Well, and there's a good youth hockey scene there. And that's yes. kind of how the, that's, I mean, Matthews. that's how you build hockey fan bases. The, the stars, there's a lot of people who are stars fans now who got hooked on the sport as kids in, in the nineties or something like that. And, uh, that's how you continue to grow fan bases. And I think the coyotes have grown the youth hockey base and that's kind of now you, you work on turning that into actual season ticket holders, things like that. And just as you and I have talked about before, it's also, you need the arena in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once again, as they did last year, I feel as though it's a major statistic as far as wins with what happens and, the stars last night once again dominating in the face-off circle, sixty-one point eight percent to thirty-eight point two percent. Sean, that means puck possession, especially when you're on the power play or if you're killing a penalty. You know, easier to get it out of your zone if you win the puck. You don't get as tired. You know, there are just so many factors, and it's something that the stars pride themselves on. Radic Fox won all one hundred percent of his um, uh, uh, face-offs last night. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's just one of those stats that glares out at me. Thomas Harley not playing. Essa Lindell, I thought, did a nice job stepping up um, as far as minutes are concerned. So there were some really nice things. You know, we hate to be the broken record. But Matt Duchesne, once again, this time, not Mason Marchment. This time, it's Tyler Sagan on that line. And the two compare uh, combined for two goals, two very, very impressive goals. A one uh, to tie the game and the second to win it in overtime. Yeah, I um, I thought Sagan was great. I, th- I thought last night was really kind of a statement game for Sagan. Actually, um, like Duchesne was good, and and he's 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 been good, and um, but last night was kind of one of those uh, I'm still here moments. Yeah, by Tyler Sagan, right? Where it's like we talk all the time about uh, Jason Robertson, the Hinces, and Pavelskis, and and um, Wyatt Johnston, like it's, and, we, and the Ben Johnston dad and offline, and we give Duchesne credit. And last night kind of felt like one of those moments from Sagan where it's like, I'm still here. I'm still, I can still be a force right now in the NHL. Just one of those things. And it was um, the goal and the assist are two high level plays, but you look at the overall performance of Sagan, right? Like, there when stars dominated possession who's on the ice the they uh they were and, and he was playing in all three zones he was last night he was a complete i mean stars dominated possession in general but to me sagan was that was kind of one of those games where you're like this is a reminder that if this is the type of player you have in your middle six in in May and June, this is why this team can be a cup contender because this is the type of guy who could be in your middle six. And I know yeah. it's a November game against the Arizona Coyotes, but it's 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 one of those games that I I think I kind of you kind of put like a little bookend on and just remember like this is the type of game that Tyler Sagan still has, even if his body hasn't aged as well as as we to live up to the marketing push. Just a pretty breakaway goal. And then yes. making that play in overtime, uh, passing it to Duchesne, reaching around the defender, 
the calmness to do that um, in overtime I thought was special as well. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, certainly he was one of the three stars. He deserved to be one of the three stars. So a, a real nice win, four straight wins for the stars. They get Colorado on uh, Saturday night. Uh, I did want to talk about that third goal, which took the lead for the Coyotes. As a former goalie, Sean, that decision by Ottinger has to be made so quick. I, I don't necessarily blame him um, because if you if you go out there and you don't get the puck, you're caught dead and it's a goal. If you stay back, you know, he's kind of caught in the middle last night. So that that, that was a tough play. How about the poke check? Yeah, the poke check. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't mind it. It's, uh, it was, it was a bit, um, it was kind of, it was, there's two types of kind of, there's a couple different types of poke checks, right? That's, um, and the way Ottinger approached the, the, the Kraus, the Kraus one, and I'm actually pulling it up right now to, to literally watch it as we talk about it is the uh you can you can be more aggressive and you can go straight for the puck and if you watch it in theory that's what you're always trying to do but the other thing it can be used for and this is a just a reality to try to set up like so Kraus gets by Pavelski and Ottinger is basically so Kraus is a, I'm going to do a little bit of film study here as I break this down for people. Kraus, Ottinger goes slightly too early because by Kraus is a left is a left-handed shot coming in and he's basically trying to, Ottinger with the slight lazy release is trying to force Kraus to kind of shoot before he cuts across. And because he went slightly too early, that's why he Kraus kind of had him dead to rights because his right shoulder is ducked. The intention with Ottinger on that left-handed shot, tough, tough kind of angle there. If he takes away that cut across, his really only shot is kind of going to be that high glove where Ottinger is incredibly good. So I don't, I don't mind the approach or the technique. It's just one of those where it's that slight timing of things in the milliseconds of how good NHL players are and yep. the decisions you have to make at breakneck speed. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Once again, kudos to the coyotes. They didn't come back. They clawed, I'm sorry. They came back and actually took the lead and kudos to the stars for, you know, reclaiming it. And as far as tying it up with the Sagan breakaway and almost winning it in regulation with off the post with I think 1.8 seconds left off a tip. So, uh, just a fun third period. I thought the first and second one kind of they kind of dragged a little bit, um, a lot of clogging and stuff like that. But a fun third period for the fan, which brought us to uh, overtime, and uh, the Stars uh, win once again. The- okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The other thing, Sean, is is that I put the 
the email out as far as like Twitter's concerned, mailbag, uh, call it mm-hmm. what you will. Uh, wanted to see if Stars fans wanted to ask us questions, and they had a lot of them. So uh, would you like to get into that, or would you like to get into a quick um, three-on-three overtime discussion? We'll get to both. let's uh, yeah let's let's do the let's do the th- let's get the three on three one out of the way first okay and then we'll do the uh, um so that let's let's do that one and then we'll do uh, and then let's chat let's get people the people's questions okay so it was uh, tweeted out yesterday by Greg Wyshynski of ESPN that. It is being talked about as far as potential three-on-three changes. And, you know, one of the things that could be bantied about was kind of a half-ice setup. And I wanted to get your thoughts because, personally, it was interesting. I saw the tweet yesterday, and then they went to overtime, and it kind of doubled down on my opinion I like puck possession in overtime. I think it's an art. I think it's a skill. I personally, as someone who watches the game, I don't mind that they pull it out of the zone. Um, And it's the job of the opponent, like the Stars did last night. Once they did get possession, you could hear the crowd get excited, and then they immediately scored. I just think if we go half ice, Sean, or we make changes – I think it's similar to a shootout where we're kind of tricking it up now. And to me, three-on-three hockey is extremely exciting. The fans love it. Uh, And, you know, if you want to tack on a couple more minutes, I know the players are tired. I don't know if the uh, PA would be good with that, um, meaning the NHL Players Association, but I'd be okay with that. Um, The other one that I thought of that happened the other day uh, that we brought up on this podcast, Sean, is – if there's less than two minutes left as far as, uh, you know, if it's the end of a game and a penalty is committed, I think the game could be extended. I know it sounds ridiculous, but to me it's like, or I think you brought it up one, Sean, uh, a maximum amount of icings. Um, so those kinds of things I'm willing to talk about, but personally I'd like to keep three on three the same. You? Yeah, I don't like um... – We've already changed the rules enough for overtime. Um, like it's three on three. We've already changed the rules enough, and I'm fine with that. Um, I don't like changing the rules even further to determine the game. You play the you play the game by one set of rules for sixty minutes, and while three on three is a different number of players on the ice, it's still the same rules. Um, penalty is still a penalty um a icing is still an icing you you still can't do this that or the other like it's it's still hockey i don't want the i don't like you i don't want the baseball version of let's put a runner on second base because that's kind of what this feels like yeah Um, yeah good point and and that's what this would feel like to me and it also i don't i disagree that it would Coaches have shown in hockey that they will find ways to take the path that is safer. And if you make it half ice, 
you're going to create like I, I don't see how that creates I, I don't see how it creates more chances. Like people will be like, I know the proponents of it, like, oh well you have to get a shot. Do you want more quantity or do you want more quality? Because when you go half ice, what's gonna happen is you're gonna get like, oh no, we're crammed in here. And players are gonna take more bad shots, right? There'll be there'll be more shots in overtime, fine. But do you want 20 footers? Do you want do you want 30 foot, 30 foot, 40 foot shots away from a bad angle because you're trying to keep things going and in, in, in stuck in half court. Like I, I don't, um, I, I don't like the, I, I don't like the ideology of doing this because I don't think it creates better chances. I think rush chances end to end back to back and forth. Like, I think we still get that. I know the circling and everything like that. People get frustrated with it. I understand that, but I also think, I still enjoy it. Like I enjoy watching teams try to break it down and, yeah. and, and go that way. Um, well, cause it's still the game and not a skills competition. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And the, the other thing, like I'm a, I'm more and more of a proponent of this, of when it comes to overtime of don't make, um, I think, I think too often we make rule changes based off of a, Making rule changes based off a of play style is very dangerous. Um, I think there's a great example of that, of the NHL since 2004 has had the trapezoid. The trapezoid is very dumb. The trapezoid was put in place because Martin Brodor and Marty Turco were too good at handling the puck and we can't let them go into the quarter. I would argue you would have more goals scored right now if the trapezoid didn't exist because you would have some very bad puck handling goaltenders who would be willing to roam a little bit more. Right now it keeps goalies safe. It's 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 we have goalies who aren't great puck handlers anymore because they don't have to do it. So if you actually took the trapezoid away, now I think you would actually have more offense. Um like to me, there's a living proof example right there. Every time you go into NHL rink, you see the trapezoid, and that's a perfect example of this is why overreacting and making rules based off a of playing style is dumb. Um, just like people were like at one point, like, okay, you think teams block too many shots. I know at some point we're like, Oh, we need to change that. Like, do we really need to change that? Or defensemen need to get better at getting pucks through. Right. You know what? Yeah. We have Miro Hishkin and we have Kale McCarr. We have, we have uh, Hughes in Vancouver. We've got these defensemen who adapted to that, and they're tremendously exciting to watch. I don't think you should make rules based off of to to to, to counter a play style. I think you need to let the game evolve itself. That is a that's kind of my view on this. Um, I, I I would argue there's there's two two ways you could fix quote unquote fix overtime if you see a problem. Um, one would be to extend it. I think that would kind of, if you extend it to seven or 10 minutes, I think that would create some more, will create less shootouts. The other one, and it's the, and this is the one that would make, this would actually have a real life impact is you change the, 
the weight of you you change the you change the weight of of the scale of the, the point system because the point system right now for coaches coaches jobs aren't went to win hockey games um coaches jobs are to make the playoffs you make the playoffs by getting points it's why like there's nothing worse gavin than the last there's nothing worse than the last five minutes of a Eastern Conference versus Western Conference game. It's been a great hockey game for yeah. 55 minutes. It's 2-2, and both coaches, like they almost like give the nod to each other. It's like, all right. Yep. We, yeah. can, we can cool off for five minutes. Let's both get the point. Yep. Right? Yeah. Like that, 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 that's, I know that's, that's what happens. You're like teams with five if in a tie game, interconference right. game, they stop playing to win and they play for the point. So are you, proposing something similar to what they have in soccer where one point for a tie, three points for a win. So I would, I would, I would, what I would want is I would want this system. I would want a three point system. I know because I'm in my system for the NHL and I know the standings box would look weird, but deal with it. There's three points available every game. Three points are available every game at most. You win in regulation, you get three points. You lose in regulation, you get zero. Goes to overtime. It goes to overtime. It's uh you win you win in you win in overtime, you get two points. You lose in overtime, you get one point. Neither team scores in five or ten minutes of overtime, it's a tie. And then they both get one point. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what my system would be. Okay. Because I think there's I, I don't and I don't mind ties. That's the thing where like people are like, oh, ties, ties, ties. I don't mind ties. Like, what's the, the with with the tie? Okay, it's 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 not like I'm asking for ties in the NHL playoffs. That's when you have the greatest overtime system ever that you can go on forever and ever and ever. Um, I just I, I think that's the way you put teams. You you readjust the decision makers, the coaches, into a mindset of we have to play to win and not to get the point because if all of a sudden Dallas uh I don't know who's their next Eastern Conference opponent uh it's a good question let's see like the so the stars have looking it up week, right, right now the stars play the Rangers on on Monday yep right next Monday 2-2 game pretty good hockey game 5 minutes left Stars and Rangers are both going to be fine with overtime in that game. But if the only way you get three points is if you win in 60, all of a sudden both teams are trying to win in that final five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then if it does go to overtime and the only way you're getting an extra point, there's no there's no escape hatch of a shootout. You're both going to try a little bit harder too. Yeah. It won't fix it perfectly, but like that's the that's what I would look at. Go three three points available every game. And if you can't, if a team can't win by the end of overtime, then the point is, is gone from the standings. And, the, and and then it would also create the system where right now, like we watch games and sometimes we'd be like, oh man, that became a three point game. It would take away that. It would take away that issue where all of a sudden other teams, you're watching other teams that are around you in the standings and something gets added. It would be the spot where we know every NHL game has the same value. And that that to me is... That's what I would push for. Yeah. So. Yeah. Plus, if you go half the ice, I think you take away the element of speed. 
And one of the great features of this game is speed. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that full ice breakaway, the two on ones that happen frequently. So I like it how it is. So you, you mm-hmm. mentioned points and you mentioned the Rangers. The next yeah. three games, folks. Now you get them at home. So that's good. Avalanche on Saturday, Rangers at Monday, and then on Wednesday, Vegas Golden Knights. Arguably three of the better teams in hockey. I don't even know if it's arguable. Uh, the Rangers mm-hmm. are dominating the East right now along with the Bruins. The uh, Golden Knights continue their winning ways, and the Avs are staying up there with the Stars. So really nice test these next three games. Be fun stretch. Yeah. Um, and we you, you talk about these test games, and that's the one thing that if the the, the stars haven't um, those stars losses this year, right? They lost to Boston, they lost to Vegas in the in the shootout. Um, there's uh, these are some of those games: Colorado, New York, Vegas. This this is those games where you're like, okay, these are the measuring stick games. You've been winning the games you're supposed to. You're 11, three and one. You got, I mean, the Colorado one is like, to me, the Colorado one is a nice, is a big one from the level of it's early, but I'm sure we've all heard the stat about how American Thanksgiving is. If you take the play snapshot of the playoffs at American Thanksgiving, it's a pretty good snapshot. Who's actually going to be in the playoffs and where they'll be come April. Uh, Head to head win against Colorado on Saturday could move you seven points ahead of the avalanche with even number of games played um, at an eighth point of the season. That's a, that's a big, that's a nice cushion to work with as you go the rest of the way. Yeah. That is a, um, no matter what happens in the, in the, in the New York and the Vegas game, obviously those games are tests too, but I I think that the, the avalanche game is a big one. Um, And, uh, the Vegas one too, just from the level of, and they're all they're all big games. But yeah, it's I. I this and, is and, that kind of stretch for the stars where you're like, okay, go show us. Are you one of the best teams in the Western Conference? Because even if they lost these three games, they're still one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Are you one of the best teams in the Western Conference, or are we putting the rest of the league on watch out alert? Right. Uh, not as bad than what has happened in the past because Thursday is Thanksgiving, but Wednesday night's tilt against Vegas at the AAC is an 8.30 central start. So uh, just uh, be aware of that. All right, let's get to uh, lots and lots of questions, and thank you so much, Spits and Suds listeners. I I really appreciate it. Uh, Howey asks, nothing related to this Arizona game, but I've always wanted to hear more about pregame routines. Any good stories on pregame rituals for Stars players? Haven't seen if he still does it, but I don't know why he wouldn't. Tyler Sagan likes to be off the ice last in pregame warmups, counting the other team. And Mark Shifley and him used to get into it as far as they'd fake going off the ice. It was just a real funny thing to watch. The um, interesting thing about the Stars, too, is they're one of the teams that you talk about pregame and warmups because of the age of their team. They're one of the teams that has, they have a higher, I don't know the exact number. I'd have to go look around the league, but they have one of the higher numbers of players not wearing helmets during warmups. Now, whether that's good or bad, you can 
you could argue, but um, just the it's now it's now elite. It's now against the rules, actually, um, for players not to wear a helmet during warmups if they entered the NHL um, after last season. So sorry, if you played in the NHL last season, you can you still have the option to not wear a helmet during warmups. But if you if this if you played your your first NHL game came this season, you can no longer go no bucket for warmups. Um, Connor Bedard actually did it. Uh, Connor Bedard and Kevin Korchinski, and we've seen a couple other rookies do it for their rookie lap where their guys have hit the helmet and they've actually been fined for it. Um, it's not a huge fine for professional athletes, but it's still it's no longer allowed. Um, so that's kind of an interesting Dallas element. You look at Ben Sagan, um, leave Duchesne, um, Pavelski. You got, you got a bunch, a large group of guys going without a helmet during warmups. Um, the, the thing that as far as kind of like pregame routines that I always found interesting is you think about the distance and time and cardio that that Miro puts in during a game what did he play probably played 30 something minutes again last night right like let's say he played um 2609 um he runs around the lower bowl of the AAC um probably I would guess he runs more than a mile just as kind of a, like a slight jog warm up. Like it's amazing that like, just you think of like the cardio his build up. And then and I know it's, I know someone's listening to this show and is going to be like a sports scientist and be like, Oh, well that makes sense. That's that helps the body cool down. It's still amazing for me as someone watching the game to think you just played 26 minutes of hockey. Yeah. You ran before and now you hop on the bike right afterwards. Absolutely. Um, it's that's, that's, there's that. And, uh, and we've talked about Radic Fox's superstitions before. Radic Fox is a very superstitious individual. So, um, but that I, I hope I answered the question. No, I kind of rambled there. That so. was a, that was a great answer. <laughs> Belfour's billion dollar bribe asks if the 2021 draft was redrafted with today's info. Does Wyatt Johnston go in the top ten? Done a lot more than a number of guys drafted ahead of him. Even if some of those earlier guys may have more raw talent. I know it's early in everyone's career, but 53 looks like a steal. 53 that year was taken number 23. And let me give you the top 10 for reference. Owen Power, number one, to the Sabres. Matty Beneers to the Kraken. Mason McTavish to the Ducks. Luke Hughes to the Devils. Uh, Kent Johnson, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Simon Edvinson to Detroit. William Eklund to San Jose. Frank Clark to the Kings. And uh, Dylan Gunther to the Coyotes. And Tyler I mean, he definitely, Ottawa. Yeah. He, he definitely goes top. Yeah, 10. absolutely. I mean, it's the question is how high up would he go? Um, today's using today's information, right? Like, um, and I actually wrote about it. this is a good tease point easily. I wrote about right before we hopped on the show today, I published a piece over at D magazine on Wyatt Johnston and kind of the growing expectations for him that he's, he's earned. Um, you got to remember and one of the things about Wyatt Johnston, one of the reasons that uh, the uh, one of the reasons that Johnston was available at 23 was he didn't play a single game in the OHL during his draft year during the 2021 season because of COVID. And the so the 
Wyatt Johnson in a span of like 507 days or something like that, only played eight hockey games in his draft year. And those eight games all came in Frisco. They were at the under 18 world championships in Frisco. The stars uh, combined with USA uh, teamed up with USA hockey because they had lax COVID restrictions and brought the U18 worlds to Frisco and Plano. And on that team, Canada, there was Shane, Wright, There was, um, Connor Bedard, Logan Stankoven was on that team. And, um, and it for, uh, Johnson only had four points in eight games in that tournament, but he centered the checking line for Canada played, did a little bit of everything. And the stars GM, Jim Nill and everyone literally watching from their office at some points fell in love with Johnston's game. And you got to remember that in that draft, the stars had 15 and then they traded back to 23 to get Johnston. And this all goes back to, and I wrote about this today at D magazine, go look it up, read it, get, get, Keep reading it. Please read D Magazine yeah. when you see it. It's free. Uh, and uh, even if you don't read it, you just scroll through it, and then it gives some page views, and then that keeps them keep paying me to, to write stuff. Shameless plug. Um, but Wyatt, what the podcast uh, is for. Wyatt Johnston was on no one else's radar, really. Like, the Stars willingly moved back from 15 to 23. The Stars would have taken him at 15, but they thought they were like, okay, we don't think he's on anyone else's radar. We can move back to 23 and pick up another pick, which they did. So huge credit to the stars scouting and viewing of this huge credit to the stars off ice and business side of things. I mean, I actually, actually called Brad Alberts about this yesterday um, just to make sure I had my timelines right on everything when writing this story, like stars, why Johnson's probably not in Dallas. If, the stars business side doesn't go out of their way to work with USA hockey to bring the worlds here. That that's all important um, to get back to the answer of the question of <laughs> no, but that's good because Jordan to get back Harper, to the question of where does, where does, where does Wyatt Johnson go in a redraft with today's information? Top five. Um, yeah, I would, I, I would argue he's going, he's going easy. It's easily, Number five, five, Johnson. Yeah, five probably. I mean, yeah. and you could have the, you can have the argument over. You you can have the argument between, you can have the argument of whether he's, climbing into the top four or not. I think, Power and Hughes are going to be the two best players from this draft as far as most impactful based off their position and things like that, but. um and I like McTavish a lot. I think McTavish is a very good player. Me too. But in the long run, I'm curious to see Johnston Johnston versus McTavish in the long run. But yeah. either way, he's in the top five now. The question is, is he jumping into the top four yet? I don't yeah. Know. And, and and this goes back to a previous Spits and Suds question the other day where Jordan Harper, uh, who lives in Canada and listens to Spits and Suds, was wondering if we could do a deep dive on Wyatt Johnston. And Sean just gave you that. So that's awesome. So Jordan, go read um, D Magazine and uh, Sean will go into even more depth as far as the business side and how it paid dividends as far as Wyatt Johnston's uh, concerned. Uh, Okay. Uh, Jeff Fink writes, for fans in Dallas, watching the Stars play on the West Coast is tough. Games effectively are starting 9 or 9.30 p.m. Do the players feel like they're playing a game that late, or is it all routine for them? Similar question for West Coast teams playing out East. Thanks. I think any 
athlete, when their routine changes, um, I think it's an adjustment. I think they're used to the adjustments, but I certainly don't think it's a, just a normal day when you have to. Uh, I mean, especially in that makes, yeah. uh, sorry, Sean, that makes what the Texas Rangers did so special in that you're playing in Seattle, you lose a massive game, which causes you to lose at the end of the season the division title, and then you have to change multiple time zones and start on a Tuesday in Tampa on the road. So that's what made that World Series so special. Yeah, it's for for Dallas when the Stars go out to the West Coast, it's, it's actually not that bad. It's going West is not bad. It's, um, and I've, I've been on those trips before. Go, going west isn't bad. It's it's because you got to remember players take their players players take their afternoon nap typically before the game. Um, it's you you take your morning skate. You kind of your schedule kind of readjusts naturally from that. You take your nap and you're just kind of on that time zone. It's go, going west is not difficult. Um, it's 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 the other way around. It's when it's when you go from it's when you're a West Coast team and you go and all of a sudden you're playing a game that starts at what is normally five o'clock for you. Like that's 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 the tough part. It's not really the and so from a stars perspective, their travel sucks. They have the worst travel schedule in the league because of where they are. But as far as a time zone structure, they actually have it pretty good because you go east and it's not too much of an adjustment and you go west and it's not too much of an adjustment. Being in central time zone is, is actually not not a bad place to be time zone wise because when you're playing at 10 o'clock there, consider the team's already been there. They've taken their nap. So it sucks from a fan perspective of having the late start, but from a player perspective, it's the it's the weirdness of the it's when you go west to east. That's weird. Or. It's when, and this is kind of the nature since the world lives on East Coast time, it's the weirdness of finding those playoff games when I yeah, people gotta remember the Vegas Golden Knights were starting playoff games at five PM. Yeah. Because that that was like I know and it was to games are starting at five o'clock in Vegas for the for, in the Stanley Cup final. And obviously it's no, you're in the Stanley Cup final. You're one of the best teams you can handle adversity and all that stuff. But those are the times that are, are weird. It's not the game later. Like it's just like next week, Dallas is going to play an eight thirty game at home next week in their own time zone. That's basically like just playing on the West coast. It's not yeah. a, um, or, or playing a, a game in mountain time or whatever, or yeah. whatever time zone Arizona is that day of the week. So have you ever thought about writing an article on the art of the daytime nap? I uh, should. That's a good one. That would be good, actually. Um, I would like commission on that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could also. It, I could I, also. We could also go over. Now, this is not a player thing, but this is this. This is a sports writer gain tactic. Have, are you aware of the the coffee nap, Gavin? Are you aware of the coffee nap? No. And so I love coffee. coffee nap. So count me so in. The, co- the coffee nap is. You need a. Your day's slogging along. You know you've got to do something at say three o'clock or whatever, but you got a little bit of time and you know you got to get going. So make yourself a cup of coffee. Um, if you can't drink coffee quickly, just like a cup of espresso. Take it, 
lay down right away and take a nap. Just take like literally just take like a 20 minute nap, get like the 20 minute nap in 20, 25 minutes. You drink the coffee right before. So you're falling asleep. You're, you're, you're basically racing the caffeine. You're basically getting to sleep before the caffeine kicks in while you are sleeping. And there's no science to this. I'm not pretending to be a doctor. <laughs> there's no science to this. But basically, you then, as you wake up, the caffeine kicks in and you feel extremely refreshed for the rest of the day. Huh. I love a big, big fan of the coffee nap. Uh, I've used it both in my professional and personal life, having two young children. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> okay. All right. I like that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I just, you know, there are so many factors like hotel, like, you know, you could shut the blinds, but there's always that little light that seems through. Oh, I, I, I have a trick for that too. Oh, so, okay. So, you you know, the, uh, and I learned this from an NHL scout, you know, the hanger that's got the uh, little clips so you can hold pants on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You you take that hanger and then you use that. That hanger is a tool oh. to clip the blinds all the way close. Okay. So you just basically put it up and down. Yeah. So you yeah. take the hanger. Yep. Yeah, you put it. You put it for a uh, vertical, and you uh, and you use that to clip the blinds completely close. Full 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 dark. Full full blackout. I like it. See, there you go. Those are the tidbits you get on spits and suds, folks. Absolutely. Expect a uh, great article coming out on. Yeah. Sleeping in the NHL. Uh, all right. Aaron Thacker, our friend, the Thack man says, where do you think right now in the season is the biggest strength of this team? And what is the biggest area of improvement weakness? Stick tap to you both. Uh, I'll go first, Sean. And I think we've seen it already depth in mm-hmm. that yeah. this team, if they lose a player like Harley last night to injury, Joel Hanley can come in. Ty Delandria was sitting for a couple of games. I thought once again he played pretty good last night. And so you have guys like that that are healthy scratches. And, oh, by the way, if there is any kind of long-term injury, that would open up some you know, emergency cap room. And you can explain that further, Sean, for you know, the Bixels, the Borks, or the Stankovens to come up. So my answer is depth. And we've talked about this for in the past on Spits and Suds, where it was basically a one or a two line team. Now I can confidently say it's a four line team. Yeah, and it's um, that you you nailed it on the head there with the strength of this team is is the depth and how they're built. Um, and you talk about things there you need to improve and the um kind of areas of concern and, and, and things like that. And honestly, at this point, I know sometimes people will be like, Oh, they're, they're like hockey can be ugly sometimes in October and November. That's just the reality. And the stars are winning games. And I think a better answer to what issues or things they have to improve on. I think we'll have a great answer of that a week from today. I think after this stretch where you get Colorado Vegas and New York. I think a week from or eight days from day, whatever. I think we're gonna have a really good answer of like, okay, we went through this gauntlet, and here what was exposed because those teams will have the opportunity to expose problems. Right now, I'm, I'm happy. Like you're happy with how things are going, and I know sometimes people are a little can be a little bit more pessimistic and think their stars aren't doing this right or that right or whatever. Right now, I think it's okay to enjoy the ride and then use this week to kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to do to upgrade the ride? Yep. Yep. Great answer. MB Tendi, 
uh, on Twitter. Question unrelated to the game tonight, but is there a reason the Stars chose not to celebrate their 30th anniversary this season? Thanks, guys. Go Stars. I think maybe we uh, have to spend some time with Mr. Alberts. We we might have to give Brad a call on that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is, but also, but there's got to remember the Stars, um, they they did their, this wouldn't be their 30th season based off their past celebration of the seasons. They celebrated their 25th season during, they celebrated 25 years during the 20, uh, they celebrated 25 years during the 2016, 17 season. So 27, 18 would be 26, 2018, 19 would have been 27, 2019, 20 would have been 28, 2021, would win 29 last season would have been 30 actually um and so I, it's, it's a, this is a very good question for brad i don't have yeah. the answer yeah. but I, I just know when what based off when the stars celebrated 25 it would have been last year not this year that they would have been uh uh it would have been last year not this year that they would have celebrated the uh the 30th anniversary season based off using that sliding scale of of math so i i don't know the answer to that it's a really good question but as uh we say sometimes on this show we will uh reach out and uh see if we can get you an answer yeah so god because sean gives me so many homework assignments on these interviews and so now it's time (laughs) (laughs) uh jordan harper asked looking back at the game how much did we notice not having thomas harley uh on the back end tonight i thought you could really tell he was missing well i think that's a credit to thomas harley if you know i mean he's certainly made an impact um, and grown into the position and continued where he left off in the playoffs. I think it's more that than actually the others, but I think when you take a guy like that away from the lineup, it is going to be semi-noticeable. Yeah, um, it's it's actually, there's a really interesting stat from last night when I was, I was looking through the stuff that relates to this. Um, last night, Joel, and this is where one of the biggest difference, and this is why sometimes you have to use a real like sliding scale when you look at analytics of shot share and stuff like that. Like, like last night, Joel Hanley rocked an 84 Corsi four. When Joel Hanley was on the ice, the stars had outshot the coyotes 21 to four in shot attempts. Wow. Tremendous. Now, Joel Hanley didn't take a single face off in the defensive zone. Like huh. that's just, that's he, Joel Hanley. Sorry. He had, sorry. He, no, sorry. He did that. He had two. He had, he had two he had two defensive zone faceoffs but zero shit uh but zero shifts that started in the defensive zone that is just that kind of gives you an idea of Joel Hanley wasn't trusted in the defensive zone wasn't used in that way and I think that's one of the biggest spots you missed you you miss seeing Thomas Harley because you're used to seeing him play in all situations you're used to seeing him playing in every role so while Hanley was good in the role he was given, He's not Thomas Harley. So definitely that that as you said, it's a testament to to uh to Joel to to Thomas Harley. The other thing that's wild about last night, and this is the one that you would uh be that you would also be that would not uh, that would be kind of surprising to you based off who they are as players. If I told you there was three play three forwards that did not have a defensive zone start last night, mm. who would you think they are? This is at five on five, five on five. We're not talking penalty kill. If I told you there was there was there was three forwards that didn't have a defensive zone start last night, who would you think they are? 
Pavelski? Uh, No. Wow. Marchman? Ah, that's a good one. Uh, who who are they? Ty Del- Ty Delandria, really? Radic Foxa, and Craig Smith. Really? Yeah, that was you going talk to about that's you talk about the change in how this team is deployed. Yeah. You talk about the change of the fourth line role. If I had told you under a prior coaching staff that you would go through a game that Roddick Foxa did not have a defensive zone start to his shift at even strength, you'd be like, okay, you're crazy. Did he get hurt? Like that is just shows you the how differently the stars are deployed. That fourth line for their when they when they are on the ice, always starting either in the offensive zone or the neutral zone. Wow. That's it. Like it's you now obviously penalty kill and changes things. So you probably saw them in the defensive zone because they kill penalties, but that is an incredible way to look at how this team's deployment has changed, where Radic Fox is no longer first guy over the board not even not not even the first guy he's the last guy over the boards for yeah. a defensive zone draw at even strength huh and ronald as a follow-up uh on another defensive question is it concerning we barely saw nils lundquist play in the third period um i didn't I mean really we notice. saw he, he, he we, pete i think pete answered the question about it just it was based off play right yeah. like I, I don't i didn't pete say something about it after the game we'll check on that yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, um, we'll check on that I don't think I thought I think it was just play. I mean, I thought Nils was very good a couple games ago, um, and uh, will uh, it will be interesting to see how things go because they were basically playing with five defensemen they trusted all situations, um, and uh, as we just talked about with with Hanley, and so someone else tends to get lost at that some point too with defense. So I'm not overly concerned about Lundquist's use, but let's see what happens later this week. And prior to last night, he also, he also wasn't in time. He did play. He wasn't, not that he was bad. He didn't really stand out. And I would say the same thing about the next player, because I didn't think he had the best game, but I was going to say on this podcast that similar to my Radic Fox, a take in the past where the salary does bug me, but I think he's been a real nice part of this team this year. I think Ryan Suter has been good this year. Like, yeah. you know, I, I just don't think he's, you know, I didn't think he was great last night, but I think he's played really well. Um, well and I'm not saying he's well, like, he wouldn't yeah. be my choice for a first pairing defenseman. However, it's like, we got to call but it he's like not, it but, is. But he's not a first pairing defenseman. That's right, the exactly. thing people get lost on. Like, yes. that's, that's the thing. People get lost on Ryan Suter, first pairing defenseman. He's not a first pairing defenseman. He takes he's technically, because on line rushes, you only have so many line rushes you can go. And Miro's not going to take three extra line rushes to make it fit with all the other guys he plays with. The stars have done a really good job of handling of, of, of D of, of descaling Ryan Suter and, and descaling his minutes and in doing that, like technically he takes the first rush. It's one of those situations where just because a line or pairing or someone goes first in practice or in warmups, that doesn't mean on the hierarchy of the chart that they are there. And I think the stars, this is where the Ryan Suter discourse requires some more nuance because he's not a first pairing defenseman. I watch him play. I see his usage. He's not a first pairing defenseman. Agreed. He happens to be out on the ice with the best defenseman in the world. Or what? Yeah. I said, yeah, one of the best, one of the best defensemen in the world, but he is not a first pairing defenseman and he's not treated like that anymore. 
And the fact the stars have been able to find that happy medium where they have also kept his ego in play because he is a very proud player. He's a very proud player who, if his name's not first on that list, he's probably going to be a little pissed off. So they have found they've done a really good job sticking the landing on this. And I think it's something where Pete DeBoer and his staff deserve a ton of credit for how Ryan Suter has been handled this year. Yeah. And Wes Tarkenton ends with a question that I'm throwing a couple of question marks on. Why are our Dallas Stars stricken with frequently not playing Dallas Stars hockey against other teams, especially at home? This meant a new development about is double baffling given all the regime and leadership changes over the years. Uh, I would just say, Wes, I don't know what you mean by what is Dallas Stars hockey because the Dallas Stars hockey that I'm seeing right now is exactly the style they want to play in a lot of games. Um, you know, fast breakouts yeah. and high skill and depth among yep. the lines. And so I think I'm just guessing, Wes, that you're thinking of the old school with the big defensemen and the physical play. And uh, I, yes, I would like to see them get more physical as far as late in the year. But I personally am excited about Liam Bixel. And I think similar to Thomas Harley coming up last year, I think that could be the answer. So, um, I didn't know where I, your question's going. You can clarify. Feel free to uh, send us another tweet to clarify, but uh, that's the best guess for me. Let me take this another way, because I think sometimes, um, and this is not just a Dallas Stars thing. This is a hockey fan thing. Hockey fans in general, um, and I, I mean this, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I just, I'm going to, it's just a reality. We're such a regional tribalistic sport, right? Like it's not like if you're if you're a there's so many games. Um there's so many games, there's so much there's 82 games a year. And if you're a Dallas Stars fan, odds are you're only watching when the Dallas Stars play. You might watch another game here or there, but really you're watching the Dallas Stars and how another team plays against them. That's typically the common thing. If you are a Arizona Coyotes fan, you're typically only watching the Coyotes. Yep. One of the NHL's biggest problems, and it's one of the reasons that NHL Stanley Cup rate um, TV ratings don't do well, is once the team season is over, people don't give a shit. Right. Just like that's that's the reality. Like it's such a tribalistic sport where you're a Dallas Stars fan. You're listening to this podcast. We love you, but you don't care about you. The typical person. Some people are big time hockey fans. That's fine. But you don't care about what happens in the Columbus Buffalo game tonight. Right. Or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, Sean and, and I could I, be I, talking about the Tage Thompson injury last night in Buffalo, yeah. but we don't know if anyone yeah. would care. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's it's that space where I think we get so caught into our nuance of it. And I see this when I and 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 I see this where you see people complaining about uh complaining about a guy's game i was saw a buffalo conversation about something the other day where somebody was uh i can't remember the player i think it was jj paterka where there was someone was just was talking about how frustrated they were with jj paterka's game and i watched paterka play a couple times and i've seen him in person a couple times and i think he's been fine and when you get so nuanced and watch only your team it's so easy to pick out the flaws when you're looking in the mirror all the time and only at yourself it's easy to miss the whole world around you. Vegas right now. Let's 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 like just let's lay it out right now. Like you look at if somebody if we'll use Boston first. Boston's 12-1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people are calling into 
the the hub or whatever the sports station is in Boston and complain about whether they're winning well enough? Do you know how many people complain when I mean do you know how many people who are get upset when they're the the reaction when oh my god Linus Olmark only stopped Linus Olmark's game stay save percentage for this game was down to eight eight seven. Like hockey fans are so overly critical of their own teams. Yes. And they miss that this sport has ugly games throughout the year. Vegas, I've seen Vegas play some ugly games. Like I saw um when I was in Chicago a couple of weeks back, I see Vegas play that game. Vegas wins five three. That's an ugly, ugly hockey game for 45 minutes, and just Vegas kind of gets it done at the end. And there's people who are Vegas fans are like, oh man, we didn't really play our game the whole game. At the end of the game, Ivan Barbashev goes down the wing and scores a goal, and Paul Cotter scores a goal for you. That's who you are. You're inevitable. Yep. That's that's who you are. But yep. you were ugly for 45 minutes. The yep. Stars are a good hockey team. They have an identity. People will be like, oh, they don't have an identity. They do have an identity. They're fast. They're fast. They activate on defense, and they have one of the best goalies in the world that allows them to play a style. They are they are built very similar to how Tampa won cups. That's just true. Um, they, the stars have an identity and they play to it. It's sometimes not pretty. It's sometimes ugly. They also have some ugly identities. They are a slow starting team. Dallas stars hockey in the Jamie Ben era. And I've said it before many times in this podcast is you start slow. And sometimes you have to dig yourself out of a ditch. Whose fault is that? I don't know. There's just one common thread, right? That's I, so I, I, I kind of, I hope, I don't know if I'm answering any question on this, but it's it's more of like the stars, it's so easy to go spend a day. Like you saw you you watched Minnesota on Sunday. If you're a Stars fan, you watch Minnesota. You watch them get cranked day three. Go spend a day in Minnesota land right now and get an idea of what it's like to not play stars hockey. Right. So. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I can answer your question, Sean, that in Boston they're saying that's nice, but are you going to fail in the playoffs once again? That's absolutely oh, yeah. what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, yeah you, you're you're absolutely right. All right, so Thanksgiving means you start to buy Christmas presents, which means that we win here needs to be on your Christmas list. So tell your partner or mom and dad or whoever buys you gifts, I want Sean's book. We win here, or I would like a subscription to Shap Shots, which supports Sean, and that is his Substack, where you get really, really good, up to the minute uh, Dallas Stars news that you're probably not going to get elsewhere. Uh, Sean's a beast when it comes to analytics. He's going to make you smarter with the great game of hockey. And uh, speaking of which, uh, before we go, I did want to point out because I got great reaction on it. If you listen to this and you don't understand some of the terms. Feel free to either direct message me or direct message Sean, but you can direct message uh, me. I am currently working with a person um, who said, I'm a Hispanic male. I don't have friends that are uh, Stars fans or know about the game of hockey, and we're going through what icing is, how many players on the ice at the same time, and we're going through those steps, and I told him we'll watch a game together when all these terms, um, you know, you get it down and you watch some games and we'll explain more. The goal of this podcast is obviously to grow, but it's to grow the great game of hockey. So uh, thank you to one and all. Let's continue to grow this thing. Sean, 
You are the man. And uh, as always, we appreciate your time. It's always fun, Gavin. Yep, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Big games coming up Saturday, Monday, and Wednesday. We'll be talking about it right here on Spits and Suds.